If you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament. And today is going to be my final message from the Minor Prophets. Some of y'all are glad, I'm sure. It was the summer of 2018. So over a year ago when we started in the Minor Prophets with Hosea, there are 12 Minor Prophets and we have walked through each of them and now here we are coming to an end. We thank God for it, it's been good for us. The message of God's prophets there in the Old Testament um, is so good. I want to remind you what I've said many times that we call them minor prophets because they're not very long. It's not because they are minor in significance. They are major. They're just not as big as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel as far as how many uh, words and chapters there are. They're not minor. And you're going to see today in the way that it ends that this is a big deal. Malachi chapter 4 is what we're going to look at today, the final six verses of the Old Testament. Before we get started, I want to remind you all or give you an update. Last Sunday, I told you about the situation with Marcus and Rachel Lehman. Um, they are missionaries in waiting, and once they get fully funded, uh, they're going to be able to go. They're going as Bible translators. We praise God for them. They are members of our church. Uh, we are sending them out with their home church, their sending church. And it is crunch time. They, just about a month ago, were at like 74%. They have to get to 100% by the end of the year. They will not be able to go as missionaries. So it's a big deal, and we were feeling that. And we've been praying and praying and praying. And last week, we gave a whole emphasis. It was Bible Translation Sunday. We showed a video that Marcus and Rachel had prepared for us. That was very encouraging. And then we just asked you all to consider yet again if you want to get involved. We had a big display over here, which it's still set up. We were asking for anybody to commit to $5 a month, $10 a month, any amount that you would like to, uh, to be on board with them. And I am so encouraged here today that because of the church's commitment last week, because of some of you that have already been committed, and really because of all that God is doing uh, with their support team all over the country, Marcus and Rachel Lehman are 100% completely funded to go as missionaries. I cannot tell y'all how encouraged I am about that, how excited I am. Uh, we had gotten word that they already know of some expenses, like their family's health insurance is gonna go up in 2020. We, we had enough commitment last week that we have already surpassed that. So they don't even need any extra money for 2020. We are so thankful. We praise God for that. The idea that soon, very soon, they can go ahead and uh, start moving toward the mission field, buying plane tickets and flying there so that they can start translating the Bible so that people who have never had the Bible will soon have the Bible. Y'all, it's in place. It's happening, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so encouraged that they're a part of our church, that we are part of their team, and, and you should be too. So, so great job, church. Uh, just for clarity, we're not doing all of support for them. Our church... Uh, is giving directly to them, and many, many, many of you all are giving directly to them, but their support team is, is much bigger than just our church. They have people all over the place, so we are just a part of their support team, but still, we praise God for it, all right? Okay, Malachi chapter four, and it begins this final chapter of the Old Testament with a very serious warning. But I hope you know that warnings are good for you. If something is so hot that you should not touch it, you're glad when there's a sign that says, do not touch, right? 
when you're coming upon a major, major curve on a road that you would not recognize, were there not a sign that says, slow down, sharp curve, you're thankful for that warning. Somebody has an attack dog, and they have a sign up on their fence that says, keep out, you're thankful for that warning. We could go on and on with, with warnings, and I hope you know that they are good and helpful. They're good for us. And the Bible ends with something that it has said to us many times and will continue to say to us. The Bible, or the Old Testament ends with a warning from God, one that you and I would do well to listen to, pay attention to, and one that we must, even though it is becoming more and more rare, one that we must continue to proclaim. The Bible warns us that we need to be ready when Jesus comes back. The Bible warns us that you and I need to be prepared when we meet God. It is true that we will one day stand before God. Every single one of us, my children, I got a six-year-old girl sitting in worship right now. One day she will meet God. Many of you all have been living for a long time. One day you will meet God. One day we are going to stand before God, our maker, and we need to be ready for that. Okay? And so this final section of the Old Testament is about that. Let's begin reading at Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Bible is a long book, as you know. I point that out often enough. The Old Testament has 39 books, and it's a big chunk of your Bible. The New Testament has 27 books, and it's a smaller chunk of, of your Bible. But it is interesting and, and very key that God has decided to end his Old Testament word with this way, a strong word for us. And depending on who you are and depending on whether you're full of faith or whether you believe or not, this may not be very strong of a word, as you have already been able to tell I want to give four observations this morning from our passage. Four very simple, straightforward, clear observations from Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Number one, God warns of the coming judgment. 
In a day where everybody has an opinion about God, everybody has some religion or other, everybody has a spiritual side to them, although that may be just spun into positive thinking or good vibes or or goodness, that may be the, the extent of their spirituality. In a day where there is a lot under the umbrella of God and spiritual, the Bible wants you and I to know that there is a coming judgment. Now, honestly, that's between you and God, whether you're going to believe that or not. This is the word of God passed down to us from generation after generation. Y'all, we have not found ourselves in 2019 with a book that was just put out at the bookstore, and we're now deciding that this is the word of God. Please don't think we're that ignorant. Please don't think that we're that foolish. This is the word of God that they were committed to 100 years ago, they were committed to 200 years ago, they were committed to 300 years ago. This is the word of God. It's been passed on from generation to generation. We have copies going all the way back. We're not being ignorant. And the message of God's word gives us a warning that there is coming a judgment. The Bible speaks about judgment time and time again. You may have heard that Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. These two locations are real places. Heaven is the eternity that you will be in if your sins are forgiven. You will be with God forever in complete joy. No pain there, no sin there, no suffering there, no crying there. Heaven is awesome. And while we don't know many details about heaven, of those that we do know, they are good enough. We will be in perfect harmony with our Father. We will enjoy it. We will like it. We will be happy there. We will be satisfied there. And we will be with God forever. That's heaven. But Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. And hell is a place that people will go if their sins are not forgiven. If we have sinned against God, which everybody has, and our sins have not been forgiven, then the Bible says that at the judgment, God will say, I did not know you, and we will be condemned to hell. Not condemned at that moment, but condemned already, for we have always been condemned since we sinned against God. That's what the Bible teaches. Hell is a place. Where people go and whatever ultimate suffering is in the worst way, that's what's happening there. This notion of, well, I'd rather go to hell because I know some of my friends will be there, that won't happen. There will be no friendships in hell. There will be nothing to enjoy in hell. There will, listen, there will be no community in hell. There will be no common connections in hell. It's not going to be that all the good stuff's going to heaven and all the bad stuff's going to hell. And if I just like bad stuff, then I'll be okay there. No. It is what God has designed for everybody who does not love God. It's not good. There'll be nothing good about it. There will be no way for you to enjoy hell no matter how crooked you are. On earth, listen to me, evildoers are still under the fatherly care of God. I know you don't think about that a lot. God is not the father of everybody, but he is fatherly to everybody. And on earth, he is taking care of everyone. He is our maker. He's provided you the life that you have and the the sunshine and the the, the breath and the strength that you have. And even though you may hate God and curse God and be all about evil and you may want bad things to happen, you may want to injure people and you may want worse things to become worse, you may want society to become uglier and you may like bad things. And even though there is evil in our world, y'all, it is not like hell is a place where evildoers are go and they'll just keep thriving with evil. No, 
God is king of all creation, and God has set up evil to be a place of eternal suffering, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where you will hate it. Whatever it is to hate your existence, to hate that you have wronged God, God has set that up. It's a real place. And I praise God that inside of who God is, there is so much grace and mercy that he has not already sent everybody there. He is long-suffering, he is patient, he is kind, and he is good. Many people are often asking, why hasn't Jesus come back already? Why does he seem to carry on for so long, right? And some people, listen, in their arrogance, have gone so far to say, Since he hasn't come back already, 2,000 years since he said he would, it's a sign that he's not real or it's a sign that he's not coming. Please, please don't speak out of the arrogance and pride of your heart and say why you know why God hasn't come. Is it not enough to realize that when God comes back, it's going to be a terrible thing for the billions of people that we know whose sins are not forgiven, who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not bowed down to him, who have not said, oh God, thank you for loving me, thank you for being a father to me, thank you for the forgiveness of sins, thank you for making me and taking care of me. If we are still in position where our loved ones and our families and our neighbors and our community and our world do not know God, then we should want him to be patient. For their sake. Now for our sake we pray, Lord Jesus come. Please come Lord Jesus. We have this word, Maranatha, that says, Lord Jesus come. We want him to come back because for our sakes it will be good. But understand that the Bible has told us that God warns of a coming judgment. I don't know how it is in your house, but every once in a while in a family you have to stick to the rules and you have to be strict. And you have to follow up with what you said you would do. And if you live that way, then there's probably been a time in your life where mom or dad or grandma or grandpa have had to say, I told you that would happen. The other day, we had a little girl in our house who wouldn't eat her mac and cheese. And I told her, you have to eat your mac and cheese. I said, hey, mama just made those cookies. But if you don't eat that mac and cheese, you're not going to be having cookies. Without me knowing, she crawled down out of her seat and left her bowl of mac and cheese there. And some 30 minutes later, I saw her walk around the corner with a chocolate chip cookie. I said, come here. And I took the cookie. I put it back. And she started crying. You know what I said? I told you. If you don't eat your mac and cheese, you're not eating eating a cookie. And I know y'all think that sounds mean and harsh, but that's not mean and harsh. That's teaching her to, one, do what her dad says, and two, eat your dinner that mama cooked. After all, it's just mac and cheese, right? Come on. But surely you know that there is a right place to say, we we told you. And would you listen? I know that we're all coming from such different perspectives, but would you hear today Hear God say to you, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. You know, we're living in a day where it is so common for everybody to give their opinion, right? Man, everybody loves to share their opinion. Social media has just made it where it's just huge, right? If anything's happening in the world, you just log on to any social media and hear everybody's opinion real quick. It's the fastest way to learn about anything. It's the fastest way to see how foolish a lot of people are. You may find a couple of good, good voices and opinions in the midst of hundreds of them, but it's just, we, we love to give our opinion, right? Whether it's right or wrong or whether it's a good or bad opinion, I'm just trying to get you to hear that we love to give our opinions. Right? Here, here's my two cents. And in a day where everybody's got something to say, everybody's got a thought, church, I'm, I'm serious about this. Oh, that we would say, what is God saying to me? Not what does my pastor think about this or what does my wife think about this or not what does my dad think about this because I really value his opinion or, or what do those people think about this or those people think about that. No. There's a place for that, and we value that. But oh, that you would really think, what does God say about this? What does God want me to hear? And the first thing he wants you to hear at the end of Malachi is that God warns us of a coming judgment. Earlier, we read from Hebrews chapter nine in the service. Let me read that to you again. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, he's coming back, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There is coming a judgment. When? Nobody knows, but it's coming. May you be ready. Number two, believers will rejoice in that day. That's why I said earlier, this is not all gloom and doom. This is not all a negative stuff. Believers will rejoice in that day. Look what it says next at verse two. But... For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. What imagery, right? Can you picture a little baby calf trapped up in a stall, and it's been waiting to get out and waiting to get out and waiting to get out. The sun's shining, the wind's blowing, the grass is green, the calf can't wait to get out, and you throw open the stall. If you've ever been around a barn or a farm, you can picture this. You throw open the gate of the stall and out goes the calf just running and jumping and leaping like it's the best thing that's ever happened to him. That is the imagery from the minor prophet Malachi of the believers when that sky opens up. That is the imagery that the Bible is giving us of what's gonna happen to those who are eagerly waiting for him like we just read in Hebrews 9 when Jesus comes back. We'll be like a calf leaping from its stall. But for you who fear my name, but listen how it describes it. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. What imagery? This is the only place where we have the sun of righteousness describing Jesus or the return of Jesus or the day of judgment. Many people think that it's just kind of like uh, some wordplay, some imagery that, listen, that a burning fire that represents judgment could be seen as a righteous sun that represents salvation. 
If the burning fire is meant to represent the judgment of God on on those who do not believe and who are not forgiven, then that burning fire would be seen as a glowing sun of righteousness for those who hope hope in God's salvation. Believers will rejoice in that day. See, folks, as long as we're still here on earth, we're in the struggle We talk about this from time to time. The days are hard. The days are long. Times are tough. Every one of us here are living with uh, heartache. Every one of us here know things that right now are weighing us down. I've had three people ask me this morning already, are you okay? I thought I was before I got here, but maybe they don't think I am. Life is like that, is it not? Some of you all had some heavy doctor's appointments this week. Some of y'all had some heavy family issues this week. It seems like more and more I'm being brought into more and more heavy situations, tough decisions to make. Life is hard, not to mention guilt that weighs on us, not to mention frustration that is in our lives, not to mention that we are tempted into sin and yet we long to obey God. But listen, the Bible tells us to wait a little bit longer. That there is coming a day when Christ will come back and save his people and take us to heaven with him. You remember that very well-known passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I'm leaving and I go to prepare a place for you. And when I return, I will take you to, my, to where I'm going and you will be with me and I will take you to my father's house. And my father's house are many rooms, right? You're familiar with that, right? And he, he's comforting his people by saying, one day I'm coming back to get you and I will take you to heaven and it will be all good there. This is a comfort for believers. We will rejoice in that day. But for you who fear my name, so notice, right? I talked about last week, if you look up just a few verses, look at chapter 318. That There are two categories. Look at 318. The once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God is so good to us that he continues to redefine the categories, right? So there are two types of people in the world, believers and unbelievers, right? Those going to heaven and those going to hell. But here he calls it the righteous and the wicked. And then he calls it one serves God, one does not serve God. But in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, you have arrogant and evildoers. And in verse two, you have those who fear my name. See, God continues to kind of relabel it. There's really only two categories, but he just continues to define it in ways that are helpful. Do you fear his name? Will you make decisions this afternoon based off Jesus could come back and find me in this position? But it will be such a good thing for us when he comes back. That, that is our hope. And I want, I want to show you this. We, we often get this from our songs. We sing songs about the return of Christ. It is gonna be that much of a good thing for us. I know you know hymn number 410, It Is Well With My Soul. We sing it a lot, right? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know this song, right? Verse three says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. But listen to the fourth verse, listen to this. We know that song, we love it, but listen to the fourth verse. 
And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. Listen to this. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Y'all, this great hymn sings in the fourth verse of the day that we look forward to so much when Christ will return. That is what we are excited about. That is what we are believing in. That is what we are looking forward to. If you turn back just a few passages, I mean a few songs to 406 in the hymnal, the solid rock, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is one of my favorites. The fourth verse of this one says this. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Y'all, it is the hope, it is the confidence, it is the soul-satisfying truth that Jesus coming back will be the answer, the comfort, the final thing that secures that we are with him forever. And we are believing that and we are looking forward to that and we cannot wait for that. And Malachi chapter four says this, as big of a warning as verse one is, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven. Verse two says, but for you who fear my name, it will be awesome. It will be healing. You'll go out leaping like calves from the stall. Verse three, and you shall tread down the wicked for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. That day, whenever it is future, will be the day when God comes to judge the world. It'll be a day of coming judgment and it'll be a day of rejoicing depending on whether you have sought the Lord for forgiveness. But there's more in this passage. Number three, number one, God warns of coming judgment. Number two, believers will rejoice in that day. But number three, remember, this is God's holy standard. It's always been this way. The Bible says that whenever Jesus comes back, many are gonna act shocked. Many are gonna say, I didn't know. Many are gonna say, well, why? Many are gonna say, well, I, I thought so or I thought differently, right? And many of you all, need to be reminded here today that you know it, you heard it today, you've heard it before, you've heard it many times, I hope, and it's always been this way. And this is exactly all that Malachi is trying to say in 4.4. It seems out of place, but look at 4.4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Y'all, this is the end of the Old Testament. This is the last book of the Old Testament. This is the final chapter, final page of the whole Old Testament, right? And the third verse from the very, very end, the second to last sentence, if you will, the second to last paragraph here just says, remember Moses' law. Think about that. Y'all, God has been telling us from the beginning that we need a Savior. God has been telling us all along that we need a savior. 
None of us here are ready to walk into the presence of God out of your own goodness. Please admit that. Please admit that. Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses is the one that first led the people of Israel. He led them out of Egypt. And Moses is the one who God called up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God gave to Moses his holy law. He gave him the Ten Commandments, and you know those. And the commandments are meant to show us clearly that God takes serious truth. He takes serious holiness. He takes serious sin against him. And when you read the Old Testament or you read the Ten Commandments, you are not to see in the Ten Commandments this beautiful mirror of just how good you are. If you've been raised that way or taught that way, then with all due respect, y'all, that is not right. If you're looking at the Ten Commandments, you should not be saying, well, I am just such a fine person. I keep those. I never mess up. I'm perfect like that. When you read the Ten Commandments, You ought to be saying, who can keep this? Who honors their mom and dad perfectly, completely all the time? Who never bears false witness? Who never covets on the inside just a little bit somebody else's life or somebody else's car or somebody else's house or those types of things? Who does that? Nobody keeps God's holy law completely. And it was never meant to do that. God's law given to us through Moses was to show us If that's what he's expecting, I'm never going to be it. And then you say, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, forgive me. And God says, I will. I sent my son Jesus to fulfill the law. Jesus kept the law, obeyed the law. Jesus took all Ten Commandments, never broke them. Jesus took all of the Old Testament, completely fulfilling it, obeyed God in every single way, and then as the perfect example, as the holy and righteous, completely obedient Son of God, Jesus went to the cross for us so that he is the perfect sacrifice for us, so that he is dying under the judgment of God for us, so that he can pay it all. And God wants us to say, I need that savior. I need that forgiveness. I need that one who died for me. God, I need you and you give it to me. He doesn't want us to say, I've obeyed. I think it's fascinating here at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi 4.4, he says, remember the law of my servant Moses. Y'all, this is God's holy standard. And so it should not surprise us if God is to say, This is what my holiness looks like. I told you. You know what I'm like. You know that this does not represent you. You know that you've fallen short of the glory of God. You know that you need a savior. Number three, we are to remember God, who he was, what he's like, his holiness, his perfect standard. And then lastly, the final two verses of the Old Testament Wow. God points us not just to the general warning of verse 1, behold, the day is coming, but to a specific warning of an individual he sent to speak it even more directly, to speak it more clearly, to speak it in a way to where you cannot miss it. This guy is talking about that guy. The Old Testament ends by pointing us 
to the coming prophet Elijah, who we know as John the Baptist. Look at verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. See, what's already concerning about this, if you know anything about the Old Testament, is that Elijah has already come. Elijah is in the past. And so this final sentence of the Old Testament says, behold, I'm gonna send you Elijah the prophet. And you're left going, what? And see, remember, we had the Old Testament before we had the New Testament. The Old Testament was the book, was the Bible for the Old Testament Jews. For the New Testament church, it was the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament. That was their final passage? Well, what is that? Well, that's a good question. And here in our final few minutes, I want you to turn with me. Turn with me just to the next book, Matthew 11. If you're a note taker, this final five minutes is for you. If you're wanting to grow in Bible study, this is going to satisfy your heart so much. You're gonna like this. Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is the one that came out of the wilderness. You're probably familiar with him. He didn't cut his hair, he didn't cut his beard, he wore uh, camel skin, he ate locusts and honey, he was kind of a weirdo, an oddball, but he came out of the wilderness and he came as a modern day prophet preaching to the people that Jesus is coming, okay? That's who John the Baptist is. You know that because you've heard of him. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and and the law prophesied until John. Now look at verse 14. This is Jesus talking. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, on explaining and helping the people understand John the Baptist a little bit better, says he is the Elijah that was to come. It says more in Mark. Turn to Mark chapter nine. That's the next book, Mark chapter nine. I hope you're gonna find this very, very helpful. Look at Mark chapter nine. We'll start in verse 11. Start in verse nine, that'll help you. And as they were coming down from the mountain, remember this is the Mount of Transfiguration, He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Hey, y'all, that is the disciples asking Jesus what we're studying this morning from Malachi 4. 
Jesus, why does Malachi say that Elijah's got to come first? Makes no sense, man. He'd already come. We just saw him in a vision on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why does it say that? Okay, that's the very question. Verse 12, he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Turn to Luke chapter one. This is the last one, Luke chapter one. All three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are telling us with great clarity that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Elijah would come again. Luke chapter one. This is with Zechariah and Elizabeth where they're told that they're gonna have a baby. All right, let's start reading in verse eight. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, okay, again, that's John the Baptist's dad, was troubled when he saw him, and he fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Look at this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, look at this, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Look at this, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Y'all, Luke there is quoting Malachi chapter four. The gospels make clear that when Malachi said there is coming the prophet Elijah to send an even stronger warning it is speaking of John the Baptist. So what was John the Baptist's message? People get ready. Jesus is coming. John the Baptist was baptizing there in the Jordan River. And literally, while he was baptizing people for the repentance of sins, Jesus comes walking up, and the scene kind of stops. And John the Baptist starts going, there he is. That's him. I'm not worthy to take his shoes off. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You better repent before the kingdom of God is here. That's all John the Baptist said. John the Baptist didn't say a lot of things. A few chapters later, he gets killed. They cut his head off because they did not like him. He called the king to repent of his sins. He was living in adultery, and John the Baptist told him, you cannot live that way, and so he had his head chopped off. That's really all we know about John the Baptist, but what we do know is that John the Baptist came with a very clear message saying, people, listen, there's a Lord and Savior, King of Kings named Jesus, and he came to us, and he's right over there. And You better repent of your sins and be saved. You need to believe. You know what came to happen? John died. A few years later, his cousin Jesus 
was crucified on the cross so that all who believe in him and repent of their sins would be saved. It's not the exact same thing of behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, but it's all a more a warning. It's a specific warning. It's a warning that Jesus is the answer to the warning. Jesus is the provided salvation from God out of the love of God. The Bible tells us that that very Jesus who they crucified was taken down off the cross, buried in the grave, and three days later he was alive. Nothing can stop him. Then he ascended up into heaven and he left and he's in heaven now with God, actually seated on the right hand of God. But the Bible says that he will come back. It tells us time and time again that he will come back. And when he comes back, that will be the day that this is talking about. And in that day, it will be the judgment. And will you be ready? Are you ready for that? Some of y'all hate the feeling of being unprepared. Some of y'all get so nervous and stressed and anxious if you're just not prepared for a doctor's appointment, right? Folks, you do not want to be unprepared for when you meet Jesus face to face. In some ways, it sounds like a good old Billy Graham crusade revival when you start preaching this way. But as you've seen this morning, we're just looking straight at what the Bible tells us. Now, here's what I really want us to understand. When God comes back, you will be presented with he loves you. The God that says the day is coming burning like an oven is the same God that hung on the cross out of love. He's not just a mean parent that's way off in the other room saying, shut up! Don't make me come down there. He doesn't say that. And every once in a while, somebody will poorly misrepresent him like that's his message. The very God that says right here, behold, the day is coming, in the very next page of your Bible comes as the fulfillment of the plan of God throughout the beginning of history, all the way back to Adam and Eve, as the loving Savior of the world who has not asked you to die for anybody, but has died for you. God that says, I'm warning you, has also already taken the punishment. If it comes to pass, that you or anybody you know faces the judgment of God, it won't be because they didn't have a chance because Jesus already faced the punishment of God. Jesus has already been punished on our behalf. Jesus has already been dealt with under the wrath of God on the cross. May I remind you that he cried out with great heaviness my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you at? Where are you going? Why are you killing me? And he hung his head and breathed his last. So that God could say to us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you repent of your sins, you will be saved. I graduated high school in June of 1998 in Monroe, North Carolina. Two months later, in August of 1998, we loaded up the car and my mom and dad drove me all the way down to Tifton, Georgia, a very, very far drive from Charlotte, North Carolina. They dropped me off. That was 
22 years ago, and I still kind of think about it like, how in the world? I did not know a single person at that college. We went in there, we got my, my dorm room all set up, and it was all good. After we had gotten some food and all that, my mom and dad said, all right, we're out of here. And I've never forgotten that moment, that last hug. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was 18, I didn't have a job. I was just down there to study and go to school and play basketball, and I just thought, what? I still think about that all the time. What I actually did is I went to my dorm room and I started crying. I pulled out a notebook and I wrote and wrote and wrote to my mom and dad. All these thoughts. But you know what I think about now? In just a few years, I'll probably be in that same position, won't I? And what will I say to my kid at that moment? If I have to drop off JJ or any of our kids 500 miles away and hug his neck, and say, all right, I'll see you in Christmas. What would I say? What would you say? Yet even heavier than that, what are you gonna say to Marcus and Rachel when they board that plane? To go to a country that's 100% Muslim, that doesn't even have the word of God, what would you say to them? Or better yet, if you get to go to a hospital visit, or somebody's in their final days, You try to just talk to them. What do you say? What matters? It's at these very crossroads where you are challenged. Is this true? Is God really a savior? Is he the answer to my life? There is no other answer. Jesus is Lord. He loves you. Believe in him. Ask him to forgive you. Don't reject him. Don't ignore it. Believe. Behold, the day is coming. Some will hate it. Some will rejoice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, been a long road from Hosea all the way to Malachi. And we've seen heavy talk after heavy talk from you to your people. We've seen you to be steady and true and constant. Father, we've heard the warning. The minor prophets have warned us and warned us time and time again. Father, may we not miss it. May we not have our ears closed or our hearts hardened. May we believe. Father, I pray that we would run to you for forgiveness. Father, thank you for warnings and specific warnings. Thank you, God, that it's consistent with how you've always been. Father, I pray for us here today that we would be believers in Jesus. Those who are seeking you for the forgiveness of sins, believing that you do forgive sins. Father, work in our hearts today that we would believe you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.